0: Uh, This is John 6. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they had intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself.
1: Well, good morning and uh, a very happy church anniversary. Um, Thank you uh, for your welcome and uh, I just need to correct one thing for the ...sake of family reputation and respectability. Uh, My wife and I have been married uh, 53 years, uh, not 45 years. I'm anxious this doesn't get in the hands of children and grandchildren. So uh, (laughs) we were married in uh, 1966. Uh, My wife wanted me to always remember the year in which uh, we got married... ...and she thought 66, when England won the World Cup, uh, would be a good thing. It's good to be back... Uh, You've got a very mathematically minded pastor in Tim. Um, When he wrote to me a few weeks ago, he said it's our 125th and it's on the 12th of the 5th, the 12th of May. And he wondered if I might like to preach uh, on a Bible chapter, chapter 12, verse 5. And he even outlined some of the uh, chapters. Well, I looked at all of them. I did write back to you and say, well, maybe Romans 12, verse 5. But on the other hand, I've landed on John 6, but more of that in a moment. (laughs) Well, my first visit here, not here, but to Brighton Road, was about 56 years ago, in the 1960s. I was a student at Spurgeon's College, Uh, good friends with uh, Walter and Lily Withers, who did a lot of work in the brigades here. Uh, They had known my mum and dad before I was born, uh, when they were all together in South London, and... uh, So that's when I first came here. and um, So it was the last century, but I'm not as old as you imagine. (laughs) 1894 was a key year. It was the year that Blackpool Towers opened. It was the year that uh, M&S opened their first departmental store in Manchester. It was the first time that Everton played Liverpool in a Derby match. And it was the year you were founded. So it was a very important year. Uh, Last Saturday, I was uh, in one of our Baptist churches in Devon, where I live, and they were um, uh, opening some new premises, Uh, and the pastor very um, creatively took the words of Hebrews chapter 11, that repetitive by faith, by faith, and uh, told their story. So I'm borrowing it from him to say by faith. 125 years ago, a group of Baptists met in the King's Head Hotel. And by faith, they built a tin tabernacle. And by faith, they gave it away. They gave it away in order for it to be used by the YMCA during the uh, First World War. By faith, you lived in the old hall. And then by faith, you opened a new church, the old church, on the 17th of May, 1923. And then by faith, God gave to a group of Christians here, the faith to have a new church building. So by faith, you demolished the old church. And by faith, you moved into the British Legion. And then by faith, you had that memorable day, the 22nd of November, 2008. And I was here. I was privileged to open uh, these new premises. I preached on Luke chapter four, God's word to the church. So all that was by faith. And I suppose my word to you on your one hundred twenty-fifth is what lies beyond. If it was faith that marked all those generations who went before, what's the faith step for this generation? May have nothing to do with buildings. May have to do with giving away people, raising money in order to give it away. I don't know. It's not for me to say what specifically is. What I do know is, as a pilgrim people, God always faces people with great tests. This may come this morning as an individual word to you. I was so inspired by Tara's travels. Amazing. And God raises somebody like that up to say, well, it just doesn't need to be Tara. Another challenge may come to Tara this morning. It may come to you. But God always presents great challenges to his people. So I want to go back to this John chapter 6 and notice four things, what happens when a great test from God comes to us. Four things that you need to note. Um, I think a couple of years ago there was a programme on television called Written by Mrs. Bark," An Australian academic had come up with the idea that Bark didn't uh, compose all the great compositions that are given to his name. In fact, many of his compositions were written by Mrs. Barke. And you'll have to look up the research on that, there's a lot of it to be found on the web. So somebody cheekily came up to my wife and said, did you write any of David's sermons? And my wife, without hesitation, said, no, the evidence is clear. If I had written his sermons, they would be much shorter. So there you go. So this is one from me. Here's the first thing I want you to notice from John chapter 6. And that is the first thing about a great test, it's always an impossible situation. When God gives either a church or an individual a great test, there's an impossibility about it. It wouldn't be a test if it was that easy. And the first thing is very negative, and that is um, the challenge for the disciples of Jesus was feeding 5,000 people. Notice they were men. Verse 10, it was men. So if there were 5,000 men, most Bible commentators say there must have been at least with women and children, possibly 10,000, maybe 15,000. It was a huge crowd. And so Jesus makes the disciples face this huge crowd of people. And the question is, how are we going to feed them? Now, when God, for them, it was a test of feeding Whatever the test is, and the great thing about a tramp preacher is I have no idea what God's been saying to you. And you know that. So if this word comes and rings your doorbell, you know it's got to be a word from the Lord. Now here are things to note when a great test comes. There are things not to do. The first is you don't raise the financial question. Jesus um, focuses on Philip in this passage It's an interesting account, the feeding of the 4,000. You'll find it in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we owe it to John to fill out this person called Philip. He's a bit anonymous in the other three, but in John's Gospel, he has a real personality. It's only John that says it was a boy with five barley loaves and two fish, very specific. So why pick out Philip? Philip, how are we going to feed them? Because he was local. If anybody knew where there were all-night bakeries to feed a crowd like this, it would be Philip. And so Jesus singles out Philip and says, how are we going to feed all these? And he comes up with the first wrong answer. He says, we can't afford it. He thinks up an impossible sum of money. And he thinks, what would a a, a labourer earn in eight months? So he thinks eight months' wages, which would be a huge sum of money. And he said, if we could have eight months' wages right now it wouldn't be enough to feed these people. Philip must have been a Baptist because he said we can't afford it. (laughs) It's the wrong question. If God faces you either as a church or as an individual, and if your first response is financial, it's the wrong question. And the second wrong response is this, and that's the resources answer. Uh, Andrew steps in in this passage uh, in verse 8 to help his friend Philip out and He says, look, look, Jesus, I've looked around and um, uh, the only thing we've got here is just a boy's picnic lunch. Uh, But that kind of small resource, what's that in this huge crowd? So they're saying to Jesus, number one, it can't be done because of finance. Number two, it can't be done because our resources are not sufficient. And number three is not in John, but in fact in Mark's version. I love chapter three because I'm sure we've all done this at times. It's the disciples who have a brilliant answer to the challenge of feeding 5,000 people. And their answer to to Jesus is this, why don't we send the people home? That gets rid of the problem, doesn't it? See, if you send the people away, no problem. Those three, my friends, are the wrong way to respond when Jesus comes with a great test. My grandson Sam's at university and doing a master's, and he, uh, 22 years of age, sent me an email a few weeks ago and just said, have you got anything, granddad, on how God guides us? So I typed up uh, two and a half pages of notes, a mixture of Bible passages and from my own experience. And I have to say that uh, in this passage, the clue... When God faces you, what are you saying to me, Lord? When he faces you with a great test, look at verse 6. Jesus already had in mind what he was going to do. So when God faces you, as he does this morning, with the impossible, you don't come back with all those wrong answers. If you're close enough to him, walking close enough to him, you say, Lord, if you already have got in mind what you're going to do. What do you have in mind? That's your next step. Here's the second thing. If the first thing is the impossible situation, the negative reasons we mustn't offer, what do you have in mind, Lord? The second is the simple secret. The simple secret is when you're faced with an impossible situation and God already has in mind what he's going to do, You simply follow his directions. Verse 10. Jesus said to the disciples, have the people sit down. I want you to put yourself in the mind of the disciples. You know that you haven't got financial resources. You know you've only found a boys' picnic lunch. And Jesus says to you, just sit the people down. Put them in the kind of orderly rows that is sufficient to feed it'll be 5000 plus 10 15000 can you imagine what's going through the mind of a disciple no food in sight and he's been asked to arrange people in food lines but when you simply follow the instructions of Jesus that's what you do it's an act of faith before the miracle And maybe that's a lesson for somebody here. God is not to your well-organized mind going to lay out everything from A to Z so you can actually see what happens. He's asking you to take the first step of faith. Ask the people to sit down and arrange them in rows. And when they've done that, he says, now give me the resources. And so they bring forward this tiny resource, a picnic lunch of five barley loaves and two fish, And they're placed, those small resources, in the hands of Jesus. Forgive me for being so basic at this point. The transfer of the resources has to move from your hands into his. As long as the small resources that you have, which you're staring at, as long as they stay in your hands, there will be no miracle. The resources have to go into, yes, first your hands, but then they have to be transferred into the hands of Jesus. And the first thing that he does is he gives thanks to God. The Lord never says when the gift of a life lands in his hands, he never says, is that it? There have been times in my life when The Lord's asked me to do something um, big and beyond me. I've wrestled and argued with him and at some point I've said to him, Lord, I'm only a picnic lunch. And you know the galling thing? He agrees. If you see yourself as a chain of McDonald's restaurants, you probably don't need God's help at this moment. If you as a church just see yourself as a huge outlet and everything is smoothly managed and you know, everything's going fine, then where, where do you need a miracle? It's only when a church shrinks itself down to the size of the equivalent of a picnic lunch and understands that in the light of the great test, somehow the only way these two are going to marry is when a church releases what they have, they land in his hands, then miracles begin to take place. Our... Uh, new pastor at Upton Vale uh, a few Sundays ago uh, our cross uh, is over to the side of our church and as a sign of commitment at some point in the service there were post-it notes he asked us as a congregation to just come down and write something significant on the post-it note and then paste it on the cross there was an incredibly moving moment. And I suggest to the leadership here that if there are times when you just need to stop, I, I belong to what I call a well, well-oiled machine. You couldn't run an outfit like this if it wasn't efficient and administrative and so on, but you can't manage a movement led by the Holy Spirit. So just occasionally to take your hands off and bring the picnic lunch and Find something symbolic. It might not involve putting names on a cross. You'll find imagination whereby you can say, Lord, we want to be shrunk down to size in order that we can understand that's all we are. And maybe every time, Tim or whoever dedicates these gifts, these are picnic lunch gifts, and we're saying, Lord, bless them. We'll wisely administer them, but bless them, we pray. That's the simple secret, making sure... The picnic lunch lands in his hands. Here's the third thing. And that's the amazing outcome. Once Jesus blessed the picnic lunch, first of all, hungry people are fed until they say, no more, I'm full. And second, following Jesus' instructions, it's ecologically wise, there are so many leftovers, 12 basketfuls of barley, loaves, and fish. What an amazing outcome. A little bit like the wine in John chapter 2 at the wedding of Cana in Galilee. Are you in Ephesians 2, verse 20, church? Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. I want to give glory in the church this morning to the fact that I serve a God who again and again in my life has done abundantly more than I ask or imagine. Where's the abundantly more than you can ask or imagine? Not just bless this or do this, Lord, but take us out of the realms of possibility into the realms of above and beyond, all we can ask or imagine. Janet and I, at the beginning of this year, uh, got hold of uh, diaries on our phones and we went back to the 1st of January 2018. And on the first day of 2019, we went back to the first day of 2018 And we went through, we felt exhausted by the time we had gone through. It didn't take that long. Some weeks were ordinary, some were high, some were low, some were amazing. But over so many of those things, we have to say, Ephesians 3.20, Lord, you did in our lives abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. This is the God who, remember on 125 years, by faith, all those steps that we talked about at the beginning, And you're in that tradition. So be the Ephesians 2.20 church that is able to give glory in the church and in Christ Jesus this morning. Lord, I want the faith level in my life to rise so that what I ask of you is more than I can ask or imagine. And there's a fourth thing and that's the bigger picture. The impossible situation, the simple secret, the amazing outcome and the bigger picture. Um, I don't know whether you were among the 10 million who watched The Last Line of Duty last Sunday evening, or you have your favourite crime drama, Vera, Endeavour, whatever it may be. Do you know these crime dramas, um, when the programme ends and you you know how it's been resolved, very often they, they go over and they show you clues that were dropped in the first episode, which you might have missed. And then, of course, they, they follow it through, and you say, oh, yes, I should have spotted that. Well, John chapter 6 is a little bit like that. It's not a crime drama. But John, in fact, drops clues early on to let us know that the a bigger picture than this little local miracle. It's a wonderful miracle to think that more than 5,000 people were fed by loaves and fishes. But there's a bigger picture. And John has caught hold of this In in verse 4, you have the first clue about the bigger picture. The Jewish Passover feast was near. That was read to us a little earlier. And then there's another clue in verse 31. God gave them bread from heaven to eat. It appears to John that Jesus, in this little local miracle of feeding 5,000 people, was in fact recreating two amazing events in the Old Testament. One was the Passover, and the other one was when they were going through the desert, wilderness, and bread, manna from heaven, was given to them. At Passover, when, uh, in order to escape the avenging angel, they were told to shelter in their houses, take a lamb, spill its blood, put the blood over the doorpost. And when the avenging angel passes over, those who are under the blood will be safe. And Jesus is actually saying, I am that Passover lamb. I am the redeemer. I'm the one who delivers from bondage. And I'm the one whose blood was shed in order that you might be saved. But he's also saying, not only I'm the Passover lamb, but I'm the bread from heaven. Just as the people of Israel were fed in the wilderness by this amazing bread that dropped down from heaven. Manna that they came and collected in the morning. I am the bread of life. I'm there to nourish my people. Feed on me every time we come to the communion service. We remember the Passover lamb and the bread of life. We're asked to nourish our souls with the bread of life. And we're asked to remember that the blood of Christ is that under which we are safe and redeemed. This is the bigger picture. The little local miracle of 125 years. I want you to see this in a much bigger picture. I want you to reach back beyond the 125. Reach back into your own life and say, Lord, what is it from my past that is now deeply significant? We've just had some baptisms of people who came into faith in Christ through our Alpha program. And you know what's amazing? That they're remembering significant things in their childhood, in their upbringing. Things that they're totally forgotten. And it seems as though that's a huge jigsaw piece that now fits into the big picture. Could that be that you're on the verge of something? The Lord has presented you with a great test and He wants you to see a bigger picture. Something to do with your past that somehow either you've forgotten or you want to forget. And He wants to take that forgotten past and say, that actually is a major piece for what I now want to do. And He wants you to have a bigger picture reaching into the future. And he wants you to understand there's a future you cannot see yet. Of course, the big picture for all of us, the future, is that Christ, the hope of the world, we've borne witness to it this morning. Christ died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And all those things that we fret and strain over, those images we saw of our broken world, he has promised a new creation, a brand new beginning for this weary earth we're reaching out to him as our lord and messiah and say do it soon lord that's our future oh have that bigger picture because you have a part to play in that it's chris wright in his great book on the mission of god who reminds us that um, the bible is the account of his story history history is his story From Genesis to Revelation, his story tells us where we've come from. How we got to be here, who we are, why the world is in a mess, how it can be changed, where we're ultimately going. It's a story about God's plan of salvation. He's the author, the narrator, the lead actor, the director. And you know what? He asks actors to step in. That's the call of God. That's always the great test. Tara, forgive me for using your game, but all God asked you to do was to be one of his actors. He asked you to step in to the Amazonian rainforest, to Bangladesh, to Australia, to wherever you went. That's all he asked you to do. How childish is it when we're handed the script and we look at it and we tear it up and we say, no, thank you. You've lost sight of the big picture when that happens. Many years ago, Michael Caine uh, was interviewing uh, was interviewed by Michael Parkinson and uh, at some point parky asked kane uh, what's the difference between a hollywood star and a great shakespearean actor and kane thought for a moment and he said well i think this is the difference you hand a script to a hollywood star and they say how can this script be changed to suit my personality And you hand the same script to a Shakespearean actor. And they say, how can I do justice to what the author intended? Which is more like the disciple. The disciple who wants to be part of the big picture. It's the latter. If I look back, I have some regrets. But I tell you the the regret I don't have. That from the age of 17 when I was baptised not always perfectly, but my hallmark has always been, Lord, I want to do justice for the part you've given me to play. My dear old mum, who lived here in Sussex to the age of 93, almost to her dying day, knew that God had kept her on earth for a purpose. She would pray every night, I want to wake up in heaven tomorrow. But when the Lord didn't answer that prayer, she knew that he had a purpose for her. So there's no age barrier here. Whether you're 18, in your 80s or 90s, you still have a part to play designed by him. That's why I think it's captured well by Chris Wright when he asked the question, where does God fit into the story of my life? Wrong question. Better question is, where does my little life, my little picnic life, Where does my little life fit into the great story of God's mission? Right question. Big question for your church on this 125th anniversary. Lord, where does the life of Brighton Road fit into the great story of God's mission? BBC Antiques Roadshow uh, came very near to us recently. It was down at Buckfast Abbey. And uh, one of our members... uh, was in full view. Uh, Not on that programme, that particular one, but a woman turns up at the Antiques Roadshow with uh, two Japanese vases and uh, asks for them to be valued. And you know they normally have the best at the last, don't you? We're all waiting with bated breath to see how much it's going to be. And these two vases um, actually went through the Hiroshima nuclear explosion and survived. Uh, So they bring them for presentation, these two remnants from the Hiroshima nuclear explosion, and there they are, magnificent tall Japanese vases. And the valuer comes at the end and says, well, I have to say to you, I'm very sorry to say, that uh, of themselves they're not worth much. So the woman's face falls, but before uh, she walks away, the valuer says this, but I have to tell you this, of themselves they're not worth much. But in connection with the story that they tell, they're priceless. That's you. It's you individually and it's you as a church. Of themselves, just a picnic lunch. But in connection with the bigger picture, in connection with the part you have to play in God's great drama of salvation. Wow. That's the Ephesians twenty, three twenty moment immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. Let me pray for you. Lord, I want the seed of your word to fall on good ground this morning. I pray for the leadership of this church and I pray for the church members' meetings and pray there will be somebody bold enough at a church meeting or a deacon's meeting in days to come to say, we need to remember John 6. I pray for every individual because... Some of your plans involve people in significant things. You're knocking on their door today. I pray that the good seed of your word will fall on fertile ground and nobody will leave this place without saying, Lord, I resolve, I resolve, I resolve to do this. So may the blessing of Father, Son and Holy Spirit rest and abide upon these disciples in order that there might be a movement of your spirit here among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.